Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The day was May 25th, 2020. It's a day that I mentioned on the last episode of the Culture Soup podcast last Thursday with Jared Hill. It's still significant today because that's the day that George Floyd was murdered in the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Since then, people have taken to the streets all over the United States and also in 15 countries around the world. Which brings us to today. Today's June 9th, 2020. And this is the coaching corner. You might wonder what the civil rights movement has to do with coaching and the issues that small businesses and also corporate executives might face. But if you notice, while there's been a lot to say about George Floyd's death and murder, there's been a lot to be said about two words, institutionalized racism, systemic racism. You'll you'll hear various uh, varieties of that term. And what that means is that racism is baked into the DNA and the very infrastructure of the United States of America. You've heard me say that since 1619, We've been tired, and I'm talking about African-Americans, tired because that's when the first slave ship arrived on the East Coast with my ancestors. And while there has been progress, there are still some things that need to be unlearned. Today was supposed to be the first live episode of the show to be aired on video on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and Twitter Notice I didn't mention LinkedIn, but it was moving to a new home. But due to technical difficulties, I won't be able to bring you that live show today, but the audio cast will live on. Back to what we were going to talk about. Because it's systemic, because it is something that is in the very fiber and fabric of the United States of America, there are things that people who make up the institutions have not unlearned. In fact, they've passed it on generation by generation by generation. And in some cases, it's unconscious. Yes, the sons and sons and daughters and daughters and daughters won't call themselves racist. Let's go back to that date, May 25th, 2020. Do you remember Amy Cooper? Many people called her Karen because she was the embodiment of someone who actually thinks that they are not racist, but then they do racist things. It's embedded in Amy just like it's embedded in institutions. And when it's in institutions, it's very difficult to undo. This is how we get to the stats that I share with you consistently because it's basically my platform and it's the core of my coaching 
since I share that I have a heart and an expertise for women of color, especially black women and under, uh, other underrepresented groups that are trying to make it through corporate America, rise to the top and also do well in business. And that stat that I share with you is that there are people inside these corporations that center white maleness, whether they know it or not. And because of it, black women are double outsiders. I did not say it, Catalyst Research said it. And before them, women in the workplace, McKinsey um, and the leanin.org organization did a whole study called Women in the Workplace. They update it mostly every year. And the situation is all the same. Black women have it tougher than anybody in corporate America. And it's because of systemic racism. We have to shift gears in our corporations and talk about leadership in a totally different way. We need to talk about it with the idea that cultural intelligence quotient is central to leadership principles. That means we have to change the way we think and the way we operate with people that we're dealing with. We also have to get to the point where the word racism is not a dirty word inside corporate America. You know, you must be able to say the words, distinguish it in order to extinguish it. And we aren't there yet. In fact, there are corporations up until two weeks ago before they put out their statements. Suddenly it's all good to say all black, <laughs> black lives matter. When, oh gosh, when I was in a diversity and inclusion role, that was touch and go. We were fortunate enough to have a leader who was one of the first very powerful white men to stand up and say the words. And it was considered cutting edge just four years ago. But now you have companies that are saying it in statements and they are reiterating their commitment to diversity and inclusion. But you have to ask these questions. If you're so much standing with the black community, where is the black community inside your company? Are they all in the rank and file? Are they all front line? Are they in leadership? And if they're in leadership, are they in the C-suite? How many of them are in the C-suite? How many of them are on your boards? How many of them get to the mid-level management, director, general manager roles, AVP, VP, and thin out? That's usually where the pipeline cracks a hole and starts to seep. You know, Catalyst told us that. Black women in particular are bailing from corporate to start their own businesses because they're opting out of the microaggressions, the implicit bias, all those fancy words that we call racism. And we won't call it that. So what do we need to do? You know, we're going through this whole time where people are trying to figure out how to be allies. There's an awakening happening. And in, in some cases, there are some people who have just jumped on board because it's uncomfortable not to be on board right now. But we have a window of time, a window of opportunity to actually make some change. And it really is dependent on each and every one of us and what we'll do about it to make that happen. So what have I done? 
I am here to support. As a certified executive and business coach, my goal is to support brands and individuals in becoming rock star leaders. And I said today on Instagram that it was so important. One of my rock star leadership tips is this. IQ and EQ are absolutely useless without CQ. That CQ being cultural intelligence quotient. We need to get everyone to up their game when it comes to cultural intelligence. And let me tell you why. I have put together a bundle called Leading Through the Movement, and it's on my website, lmichellesmith.com. If you go to the front page, scroll down, you'll see an icon with me standing there, and there are words that say Leading Through the Movement, and it talks about the importance of leveraging cultural intelligence to get us through this thing and moving forward. There's no reason to go backwards, but let me tell you, we can if we don't grasp on this moment. There is information there, not just for black employees that are trying to muddle through this whole thing. Because you know what? It's hard. It's hard. Even with all the allies and everybody coming to the streets in London and Paris and wherever, it's hard. Because all of a sudden, everyone has turned their attention to us and asked us, how can they help? Did I just say that this has been going on for 400 plus years? And it's really irritating to have people who were there too, (laughs) along with us until now, to ask us these things. But listen, cultural intelligence is so important because this is the thing that's going to get us through white fragility. And I talk about that in one of the articles in the bundle that's on site. You may be going, what is that? Okay. White fragility is that thing that does not allow my friends who are white and those who are not my friends who are white to hear about racism or to hear about the problems that people of color, namely black people, but other people too, are suffering without them feeling some kind of way. What does that look like? I gave an example in one of the articles where there was such a big uproar when Beyonce, three years ago, dressed her dancers and herself up as the cutest Black Panthers you've probably ever seen, okay? Marched onto the field and did an ode to Black women. And it was a tribute to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, the sisters in the place just lost their minds. We were excited. No one had spoken to us that way before on such a national platform. But there were people that were really disturbed with what Beyonce did because Beyonce was not speaking to them, I guess, or because she had the nerve to talk about Black Lives Matter in this way, in an artistic form, probably one of the most non-threatening ways just to kind of shake her moneymaker. I mean, really. And it offended people. Why? I'm not really sure, but I I think it has a lot to do with this idea of white fragility, that people who happen to be oppressed can't talk about these things without the oppressor feeling like, gee whiz, why are they talking about that again? That is a deterrent to progress. 
So I speak to people about white fragility like I do around fear. Bravery does not exist without fear. Courage does not exist without fear. White fragility is a form of fear. And here's the thing. You've got to feel it and push through it to get to courage and bravery. And in this case, courage and bravery are the only things that are going to move us forward. So let's take a look and walk through the bundle that's on my website so that you can know this, what's there. And I'll highlight each one of the articles so that you'll know. There's also some video there. Um, and you'll see that I've had some pretty personal conversations with my coaching community. I've also had some conversations on the Culture Soup podcast that are also very enlightening and add to this conversation. The first one is this. And here's what you got to know, y'all. You know, I, I called the last episode the, cop, the, the three beasts of the apocalypse. And I talked about the pandemic, the civil rights movement, and this catastrophic collapse of leadership that we've seen in our country. I don't care what side you're on. 80% of the country, according to CNN, agrees with me. So maybe some of you will come along. Maybe you won't. But right now we need leadership. We don't have it. We don't have it in this area. No, you won't even speak on it. But here we are. And to add insult to injury, did you know that one in three cases of COVID-19 were black people? are black people. The deaths, a third of them as well. <sighs> so here we are watching our family members pass away, our friends pass away. And then we have to look on TV and see something that we continue to see, or we see it in our news feeds over and over and over and over and over again. And nobody, nobody is hearing us. We can't get anybody convicted. And if we do, we're praised when judges hand over Bibles. Okay? You see, you see the frustration? You see the frustration. So if COVID won't kill us, a cop will. And then if we go to work, we're expected to still smile through the video conference, to still be at peak performance, and then on top of that, ask to explain to a town hall What's ailing black America? Now look, here's the thing. You can't have systemic racism without at least two parties involved. At least. They're the people who are oppressed and then they're the oppressors. And as much as you know that the oppressed people come to work, what does that also let you know? The oppressor comes to work too. So as leaders, how will you address this? There are people who want to be allies. We need to show them how to be allies at work. Now, you won't see someone put their knee on someone's neck at work. You won't see it. If you see it, they're going to get thrown out immediately, okay? What you will see, though, is very subtle, but it's the very same thing. Stifling out careers the very same way. And it starts with little things. They call them microaggressions, but this is racism too. If a person can't get an idea out 
without it being hijacked or white-splained is what we called it, where someone actually hears you in the meeting, ignores you, but then spits it out as their own, claims it, and nobody stands up for you so that people know, hey, that was her idea. It can happen in a meeting. It can happen over the course of time. It's happened to me. It's happened to all of my friends. What else? I've got clients that share with me consistently across industries, across companies, the very same code. And it's especially towards black women. Every last one of these women who are absolutely different, come from absolutely different backgrounds, have absolutely different temperaments, absolutely different everything, but they've been called the same thing. What they have in common is they're high performers, they have exceptional credentials, they're charismatic, they're so good at what they do that their brands begin to bubble outside of the company and they get called these things difficult to work with. Um, what's another one? Oh, uh, self-promoting. That's one. What's another? Um, oh, gee whiz. Um, opinionated. All of these things, when we know good and well, we've seen opinionated white guys, white women, just, just depends on what body you're in, what space you're taking up, where people accept these things. And we understand that based on the research that we've seen, that what we've been feeling is real. And that is that when we walk into a room in corporate America, we aren't expected to be in leadership. We're expected to be the junior associate. We're expected to be an administrative assistant. Nothing wrong with that. But when you have three degrees and all sorts of certifications and you've worked 15, 20 years, who wants to be seen as something that they've earned the right to move forward from? That was a lot of words to say. You're overqualified for what they see you as. Who wants to be like that? So until our company leaders, the ones who are in charge of and entrusted to the workforce culture, begin to see that when things like this happen, when George Floyd happens, when Philando Castile happens, when Breonna Taylor happens, it is not enough just to say we're going to talk about it with our black employees. In fact, it's a little offensive. It's a little ah, selfish because Frankly, most of us don't want to talk to you about it. Not like that. Because you've asked us and then to put us on display as we talk about it. That's very, very uncomfortable. And I guarantee you, you're not getting the whole truth. What do you have to do to get the whole truth? Well, the conversations that you want to have don't need to happen in public, first of all. They need to happen in a very safe space. They need to happen in a way that these black employees really feel like it's going to contribute to something, to some change and some end, not just a campaign. So the first article is, what will you actually do to impact real change in the workplace for your black employees? So the four, first article is actually for corporate leaders, those who are entrusted with workplace culture 
And that may mean that you're in HR, but it also may mean that you have a team of marketing people. You may have a team of technologists. You may have a team of whatever, but you're in charge in some way, shape, form, or fashion of culture. And this is a letter to corporate leaders like that. And the first thing I ask these leaders to do is say the word racism. Don't be afraid to say the word black. That's who we are. But if you can say the word racism, you have stopped the watered down conversation that's been happening for years and years and years. I mentioned in another um, episode that diversity and inclusion, we've been aware of it for 30 years. It has still not been solved for. That's why you keep seeing more chief diversity officers, more diversity officers, people in charge of inclusion, people in charge of equity. When is it going to be fixed? The only time it can be fixed is when it's not watered down. You isolate each issue and each problem and address each one of them. Let me give you, let me give you a, an analogy, okay? A battered wife. A battered wife. First of all, she needs to be taken away from her abuser. And that's even if it's a battered spouse. It could be a man, okay? This isn't about gender. But let's talk about the abused person. If they're in an abusive situation, what is the thing that you do for them? You give them, first of all, safe haven. That's the first thing you do. Then you make sure that they have no contact with the abuser anymore. And then you provide them with the resources to get on with their life. Now, if you have any inclination about where this abuser is and they've gone as far as to commit some kind of crime, you can call the authorities on that abuser. In fact, in some cases, you can take care of that abuser by making sure that that abuser can't do what they do again. Stop. What does this say about a people, an employer, an employee, I should say, a people, a community, an employee that's been abused every day of their working life through these little things. They, they, they sound little to you, but they add up. They add up. And they must be adding up in a huge way because do you know why black women lead the way in opening small businesses more than anyone? When the U.S. Census says we have the most advanced degrees of any one group in the United States. So we're qualified. We can do the jobs. We can innovate. We can make something out of nothing. We can run to the risk of it. You know what? We're afraid. We're scared. Okay? We're afraid because we know those things that you call implicit bias, those things that you call microaggressions, they happen to us each and every day. And let me tell you how you can chip away at someone's self-esteem. Even with well-intended compliments, let's talk about hair. Yeah, we're going to talk about hair. African-American women do all sorts of things to their hair, and they have all sorts of reasons to do them. But we don't have to explain it. 
to anybody. Has anyone else been asked to explain their hair? I haven't seen it. In fact, I've seen my white colleagues come to work with all sorts of different hairstyles. One day, it's moose and curly. The next day, it's in a ponytail. The next day, it's bone straight. The next day, it's a different color. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But does anyone harass her about her hair? And I'll say harass because that's the way it feels. When people always want to touch your hair or ask you, are those, is it really yours? Or if they want to say, oh my God, you changed your hair again. If it was just hair, it would still be more than annoying. But it's more than that. It's more than that. So think about how you can provide safe haven inside your organization while you institute programs to not just train the people who don't know better. And some of them, let me tell you. <laughs> I've been watching on TikTok with this young generation that's coming along. They're, they're really going to change some things, and I really am excited about them. Gen, Gen Z is amazing, and I'm talking about white Gen Z. But these are young people who are literally recording for the Internet their interactions with their parents who would by any means tell you that they are not racist but they are giving their kids sheer hell, kicking them out because they simply said black lives matter and they believe it. Kids are getting disowned. Kids are getting told that they're going to get slapped the effing whatever out of them because they value someone else's life. Imagine that. Now think about this. Those parents go to work somewhere. They go to work somewhere. Can I say that again? They go to work somewhere. And they wind up in your workplace. How do you deal with this young person's parent? They've already kicked out their own child. What are they going to do when they come into... Do you hear me? Okay. I'm going to let you read that article. I'm not going to give you everything that I said in the article, but it shares with you some questions to raise on how to deal with these issues before they get out of hand, but you know what, they're already out of hand. You just got to, you got to deal with it. There may be some things that you need to tear down and, and rebuild. I know people don't want to hear that, but that's important. So let's see here. The next one. It's called, have you checked on your black colleagues and friends? This was early on, maybe, oh boy, right after George Floyd was murdered and the first protest broke out. There was some rioting, some other things that happened. But the question resulted because a friend of mine who's at a very large conglomerate said to me, he was planning to call him black because he just didn't want to face his colleagues and put on that smile like everything was okay. The other thing that he didn't want to do and the thing that he resented most was that all of his white friends and colleagues to that point hadn't thought to text, call, 
email and see how he might be feeling. Do you know that empathy, now this is your EQ. This is your emotional intelligence quotient. Empathy kicks in when you have an EQ. Empathy says, I've never walked in your shoes, but I can imagine what it might feel like. And that takes an awareness and a knowledge of what the other person is going through. EQ is your pathway to CQ. So I wrote this one. And this letter is to allies. Allies. And after I wrote it, I, my friends, let me tell you, my friends came out of the woodworks. I love every last one of you. Thank you. And for those of you that didn't reach out that I know already walk the talk. But listen. There are new allies that are emerging out of this whole situation. And I have a letter for them too. The letter for them, let's see here. Um, what if they aren't hearing me? Oh, no, no. The, the last one, the last one is um, take a walk in my shoes. Okay. That's for new allies. Now, this is the one that talks about white fragility and pushing through it. So that you can literally start to empathize with black people. And there's one line in here that you have to know. And I reiterated it on TikTok. If you follow me on TikTok at, at L. Michelle Speaks, you'll see that I translate a lot of what I do on LinkedIn and on Facebook into TikTok ease. And whether that means I'm dancing while I do it or I'm using the same editing strategies that they use. But I do. But this is the one that I, I said on TikTok. And that is that equality feels like oppression when you are privileged. Now, look, that takes a degree of empathy on my part, on the part of the oppressed. Now, you may be thinking, if you're one of the ones that is like, oh, gee whiz, I hadn't thought of all the drama and trauma that black people have to shoulder all the time. And now you're like, I'm an ally. I get it. But it takes me and allies who are on the same side to realize that if you're privileged, that me pushing the idea of Black Lives Matter on you feels like oppression doesn't make it right let me let me just let you know it doesn't make it right it's it's the feeling that they get and when you're aware of that feeling that they get you're able to bring other tools to the table to talk to them and relate to them in a way that may help them to understand not every word that you choose is going to be right for every person which leads me to another article and that's the third article in the series the yes what if they aren't hearing me this article talks about how you can still be a part of the movement and not use the terms now this is the communicator in me coming out I want you to listen very carefully you can still help the movement and not use the words Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that you don't believe it with all of your heart and soul. Doesn't mean that it's not true. But for some people, because that term has just been 
used in ways that they feel that is attacking them, sometimes you have to use other words and you can still support the movement when you do. Did you hear me? You can still support the movement and not holler that phrase over and over again. And here's the thing. If someone's not hearing you, if, if they just aren't getting it, does saying it louder, faster, harder get through to them? No. You have to find another way. That's just the point. Doesn't mean that black lives don't matter. You might choose to say something like, hey, if these things don't matter, how can all things matter? That's one way to get around it. But you know what? Here's the thing. With all of the different beautiful analogies that are out there, and I've heard them all and they're great. There's one about a whale. There's something out there about the Luke 15 parable in the Bible about the lost sheep where Jesus said, I'm going after that one sheep, even though I have these 99. That's the analogy for all lives matter and showing that Jesus even went after the one. That, that really speaks to a lot of people. Some people talk about the house is on fire. You know, my house is on fire and all the rest of the houses are on fire, but you're over there and your house is fine and you're asking for the, the fire department to come and put water on yours, but yours doesn't really need the water because it's not on fire. You know, do all houses matter when one is on fire? You put the water on the one that's on fire. You get it, right? Then there's the one about the dinner table. But here's the thing. Do you really think that people that sit on the other side of the issue don't get those analogies? Many of them get it, but they're still dug into what they believe. So that tells you one thing. You have to try something else. And here's the other news that I have to give you. You won't win everyone. You won't. You just won't. But you have to find other ways if you are committed to the cause and you know that the individual on the other end has some degree of humanity and a heart. There are ways to communicate with them. And I give some questions to raise for yourself, to coach you through having these courageous conversations. Here's one. What can the other party relate to? This gets to cultural and intelligence quotient too. Understanding where the other person comes from. If that person is God, family, and country, you better find a way to make it patriotic. You better find a way to make it holy. And you better find a way to make it seem like something that would hit them as a family member. And I got to tell you, when George Floyd said, I want my mother, do you know that was a rallying cry for all mothers? I don't care who you are. And do you know there are a number of people who voted for the guy who's in the White House who are marching because of that very reason? They know that that was somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's uncle. They get family, okay? You understand? So you need to find what the other person can relate to. Zero in on those things. Then you need to ask yourself, what's important to them? Zero in on those things, okay? What values do they hold dear? That's the way to communicate to people because that gets to intrinsic motivation. If they value something, they'll act on it. That's applied positive psychology, people. 
You got to understand what they hold to be dear. You got to understand what can you do to meet them exactly where they are. Everybody isn't up on white fertility and white privilege and all these things. In fact, you can use a lot of those terms and they will write you off as one of those liberals. That's just, you know, those Starbucks people. You know how it goes. If you use all of these very, very educated diversity inclusion terms, you're going to lose some people. You're preaching to the choir, okay? So you need to think about where they are and speak to them exactly where they are. Now, here's the other thing. How can you find common ground and relate to them? I just used some values right there that I actually can't relate to, but, you know, I would never wear one of those red and white hats. But I'm God, family, country all day long. Go figure. There's some other things that you can relate to with folks. And that's going to be the key to having these kind of conversations. And there are a couple others. 13 steps that brands must take to improve diversity and inclusion. And this is my letter to marketers, Fortune 500 marketers. Because I believe... That Fortune 500 marketers sit in a very pivotal spot in their company. They control the messages at externally. And until they can get something that's working internally, you really can't promote a broken product. And if you are a marketer and you can find it in your heart and your soul that this topic is so important that it needs to be addressed inside your company before you can herald something on the outside, you're in a key position. You're in a very key position. And I outline, and by the way, this was commissioned by Brand Innovators. Um, this is the organization that is a community of Fortune 500 marketers around the world, especially in the United States. And I took their stage probably about eight times between 2017, 2018, and they were looking for a way to address this issue on their website. I gladly stepped up. This is family for me. They are absolutely allies. But they wanted an authentic voice to call out the things that really need to happen. And there are 13 things in that article. Check it out. And then the last article is this. It really isn't ours to fix. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this one, let me tell you. The tendency is to turn to black people and say, what should we do? And here's the thing. Let's go back to that domestic abuse Victim, do you really turn to the abuse victim and say, how do you fix the problem of the abuser? Look, I've been through it. I've been through that situation and I actually had somebody give me a book called Control Freak and it was how to control, how to manage a control freak. They didn't tell me to get away from the freak. <laughs> they told me that I should manage them. I had the... God, the sense that God gave a chicken, that that wasn't right. But you can't do that to your black employees. To, unless they are in diversity and inclusion. And here's the thing, too. <laughs> if you go back to that 13 steps that the brand marketers should take, there is something that addresses that, too. Don't just put your black people in the diversity roles. And, and those are problematic, just to be honest with you the way they're built and not funded and tossed aside and defunded and all of the things that happen to them. They go and they come. Nothing is sustained. But why would you turn to your black employee and ask them to help you fix this? 
Now, many of us have the heart and we have the will to jump in there and try and help you. I'm actually in a position to do that. I do it better on the outside of corporate than I do on the inside because there are so many boundaries and people that will call you hard to work with if you do it within corporate because suddenly you're coming with strategy and is she supposed to do that? Okay, so we're already under enough stress right now. I mentioned COVID. I mentioned the, the civil and, and racial injustices we're stressed people. And then on top of that, we're doing homeschool. Thank the Lord. It is summertime in Texas, but some of y'all are still going till June. And you're trying to hold down your job at the same time. If you have a job, some of you have lost your jobs. And then you're still going to turn to us and ask us, how do we fix this? Don't do it. Just stop. The oppressed shouldn't be the ones to bear the weight all the time. If you can avoid it, please do. And you can, so don't. Explaining the acts of oppressors constantly and offering ways to fix it, it's just too much. And here's the thing, and I'm going to put it to you like a Gen X or Gen Z or would, okay? Gen X, that's me. Gen Z is Joni's group. Racism is as old as this country, 400 years old. Okay, the country's maybe a little bit older, but not much older. Why are we acting like this is new? Because we finally have video of things that we knew were happening anyway. Look, I told a story in one of these um, articles about how when I was six years old, I remember watching my dad get out of our brand new Oldsmobile. We were on our way to Arkansas to visit my grandmother, headed up to Texarkana, Texas. It's just outside of Texarkana where she lived. And the police officer pulled us over for who knows what reason. We were going the limit. We were less than the limit. We hadn't crossed any lines without signaling nothing. Didn't know what's going on. I'm six. My sister is 11. My mom is in the car too. And the officer comes to the car and asks and orders my dad out of the car. That was scary enough. Had him go to the back of the car. Had him take the perp stance. This is Deacon Smith. Deacon Smith. Who'd be a trustee in the church? Deacon Smith. And it scared the life out of me. I'm a little bit younger than Joni is now. And they literally pulled a gun on my dad. We had to see this. I don't know what my dad did to get out of that situation alive. But this was in the late 70s, early 80s. There were no devices to record. But you know what my dad told me? My dad, who lived through the civil rights movement, my mom as well, his dad taught him because he used to follow him on carpentry jobs with his brothers. His brothers happened to be twins. And his dad taught them how to address white people during the time of the civil rights era and before that, in the 50s, in the 40s, to talk to people in a way that may just seem more docile, compliant, 
all of these things that you get out alive. And you know why my father's father taught him that? Because my father's father's father, my great-grandfather, went on a hunting trip with his white friends one day and mysteriously didn't return. This was in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. So I'll take it one more step. My great, great, no, my great grandmother on my dad's side, not the wife of the grandfather that went on the hunting trip, but on the other side of the family, was literally born on a plantation in Georgia. Now that should give you some idea of proximity. I am literally three generations removed from slavery. I knew Big Mama. I quote Big Mama. If you've heard me speak, I quote Big Mama. She's Ellis Kennedy, and she is the woman that I named my internship after when I ran my agency. She ran a grocery store as big as a Kroger or a Publix back in the 40s and 50s in segregated Tyler, Texas. So you get this, right? This isn't new. None of it's new. And it's embedded in everything we do. It's not just about cops. It's about a mindset. That mindset comes to work every day from our communities into our workplaces. And from our workplaces, they go home. They take work home. So what will you do in the workplace to move the movement forward? That's all I have for you. I look to go live on The Coaching Corner on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and Facebook as soon as Restream.io is back up. In fact, I'll probably do a special edition on this topic so that everybody can see me talk about this. And I think I'm going to bring some friends along. In the, meantime, in the meantime, to all of you whose heart and souls are in this movement, you can do so much even if you're not on the streets marching. Look into being an ally. I've given you some, some tips on how to do that. Look into looking out for your black brothers and sisters. And if you're a corporate leader in charge and entrusted with the corporate culture of your workplace, do better. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at theculturesoup, and on Facebook at the Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.